Well, hello everyone, and are you ready with your Bibles to do Acts chapter 2? So, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's Word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word and that promise and the, and the truth that it is exactly true, and every word is true. And so, we are grateful that we have it, that we can go into it, and that we can know that you are ready to teach us. May our hearts be open. May our ears be ready to receive a fresh new word. It's a familiar story again, but Lord, we want it to apply to us right now where we are at. So thank you that your word does that, and we will truly give you all the praise and the glory. Amen. So your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. You know, that is really quite something about um, why Jesus um, sent his spirit on this particular day. And a lot of times I don't think we dig enough. And I'm just getting to the point where I just love, I got a question I want to know. And I found this very fascinating. That in the Old Testament, the Feast of First Fruits... And then it became the Feast of Pentecost. It was, it was a time when, when they would get together and celebrate the first fruits of the harvest. And then it later went to a celebration for the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And that's why the Holy Spirit came at this particular feast because what did the law do for the Old Testament Israelites? It was to lead them and guide them and show them the way of righteous living. And what does the Holy Spirit do for us? He leads and guides and helps us to live a righteous life. And so, again, not coincidence how God just chooses every day with a purpose in mind. So, anyway, that's, that's why that the Holy Spirit came at the time of the Feast of Pentecost. And they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. So in your questions, I did ask you about, um, did you notice that when Luke got his information, the person who was informing him, was saying, I don't know how else to put it, but it was so powerful. It was like a, a mighty wind, and we all know the power of wind. And then he described, and it was like a fire, and we all know when a forest takes off, and you can hear the sound, and and so I really think that these two illustrations, it wasn't wind, actual wind. The Holy Spirit wasn't actual wind, and, and the Holy Spirit wasn't actual fire. But it helped them to understand that God had promised that he would send his spirit, and it would give them power. And I go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember last week when we heard how, how Jesus said that... Well, when they wanted the answer to, um, when, when are you, Jesus, now that you're alive? When are you going to now make everything right for us again? When are you, when is the time going to 
that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to take care of us so that we don't have to be under the tyranny of Rome? And they want to be comfortable and happy. Typical human response. You know, when are you going to make it all easy for us, Lord? And and Jesus came back and said, you know what the what the Father does? He's, it's his authority. He does when he does what, and he does how, the way he chooses. And in other words, it's really not your business to be concerned with what is only his. But then he comes back and says, but, but I, this is one thing you can be sure of, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And why do you need that power? Because every one of you are going to take the gospel to the world. And that is such a personal um, uh, story for us. I mean, it's an instruction. It's a, this is what he wants from us. He say for us, he says, I will give you power. My Holy Spirit will give you power to do the same thing, to be, to be my witness to your little part of the world. Well, then in Acts 2, we see how, how the informer is telling Luke, and we saw the power. It was, it was like a big wind. It was like a big fire. And then he said, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled. And that's really important. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. And why do we need to be filled? Because we don't want any room for self. And I think you and I know why we need a constant refilling of the Holy Spirit. I always say, if I just didn't leak... But unfortunately, self does get in the way. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden, we start, you know, falling back to our old ways. And so we always need to be asking for a filling. Because when we're filled, then, then there's no room for self. And that's, that's our goal. That we're always thinking and acting under the power of God's spirit and not self. They began to speak in tongues as the spirit enabled them. You know, and just quickly, I want to make sure you know the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are those nine characteristics of Christ that every one of us are supposed to have. The Holy Spirit wants to produce real love, Jesus kind of love in us toward others. The Holy Spirit wants to produce Jesus kind of joy in us. And peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, self-control. We want those characteristics of Jesus. And what is fruit? The fruit, Jesus used that example many times in the Gospels. Fruit is what's coming out of us. And so what's in our heart is what's going to come out of us. So I always say it's either the fruit of his spirit or it's the fruit of self. Now, remember, with the fruit of the Spirit, all nine work together. And so you can't pick and choose which ones you want. Or not, or not feel bad when you say, well, I have joy today, but I don't have peace. No, no, it doesn't work that way. You either have all or you have none of them. The nine work so intricately together. But the gifts, that's another story. The gifts, and, and you can go to Corinthians. You can 
you can go to that whole thing about um, the tongues, about the gift of the tongues. And 1 Corinthians chapter 14 talks all about that because, you know, as we kind of run amok sometime with that gift, it was, it was already something that, that, that they had back then that Paul had to deal with because some of the gifts were misconstrued and people thought that some of the more noticeable ones were given to people because they were better or some of the littler gifts that, that are not as noticeable were not as worth it and, and it got all out of whack. And so Paul then talks about the body, that we're all part of the body, and everyone works equally and, and is just as important. But then, it get, it, you know, years ago, God construed about, well, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you automatically will speak in tongues. But I just want to reassure you, if you have the gift of speaking in tongues, that's wonderful, but that's a gift between you and the Lord. It's your prayer language. And Paul goes on to explain that not everybody has every gift. And so you don't have to feel inadequate if you do not have that particular gift because you probably have another gift that, that you're going to need for the calling that's on your life. And so again, like I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if you want to just take a, a few minutes and read that, because then Paul addresses that, because it seems like through the years, that one just gets so misinterpreted. Oh, it's an important gift. But Paul says, you know, I might be able to do it, but, but what good is it if, if you um, hear me talk in some language and yet you can't understand me? And, and so that's just so important to know that we all have gifts. Not all of us have all of the gifts. That's why the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit are just, we've we got to make sure we know the difference. Now, they were given the gift of tongues for a reason. These people were coming from every nation. Now, as I read this, look. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem at this because, see, they were coming all over for the Feast of Pentecost to celebrate the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai or the harvest of first fruits. So they were coming from all over, from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are all these men who are speaking Galileans? And their language was Aramaic, Aramaic or, or Hebrew. And all these 12, these 12 were able to speak in all of these different languages. And then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Because they don't know how to speak in our tongue. But they are. And then, and then um, the informer was telling Luke, he, he just named all of, the, all of the different nations that were participating and I'm sure you read them all. I mean, they're, and then if you look at a map, I mean, they are coming from all over the place. Verse 12, they are amazed and perplexed. 
I mean, it had to have been something to hear. They asked one another, what does this mean? Now, here's where you see here, you have one of two choices. When something amazing like this is happening, you can either ask the question, because the Holy Spirit always does things that are amazing. The Holy Spirit does work in us that we absolutely cannot do. I'm sure these disciples, these apostles, were, were stunned when they heard what was coming out of their mouth. I know sometimes when I'm teaching, I, I come prepared. I really, really do. I study hard. But sometimes it's like I hear what's coming out of my mouth, and I am amazed. And I have to say, I think, well, oh, that was good. And I know I'm not that good. I'm not that smart. And yet the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He doesn't want us to miss anything he has got. And that's why the gifts of his Spirit in us is just amazing. And so when these men were able to speak in these languages, the people were saying, this is amazing. How is this? Or they were saying, Man, these men, what are they do? Are they drunk? They had too much wine? So today, when you hear the gospel, when you hear someone or see someone, and the love of Jesus is just permeating through them, you can either say, Wow, I I want to know more. How is that possible? How 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 can they be like that? I know what they're going through. How can they be like that? Or you get the response, and believe me, I've heard this many times. Oh, she is a little over the top. Oh, it's just a little much. Um, she is a little ridiculous. Um, she should really settle down. <laughs> you know, things haven't changed. People are either going to respond and want to know more, or they're going to say no. That's the way they did it to Jesus, too. And so things haven't changed. And then Peter stood up. This is such a reflection of how life changed. Remember last week we talked about John chapter 20, where after Jesus arose from the dead and that, and he was with his disciples, and then said that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. You know, he breathes into us the breath of life, and then he breathes into us his very spirit. His breath gives us physical life, and his breath gives us spiritual life. And Peter stood up with all of the confidence that when you're filled with God's spirit, this is what you have. A confidence, a strength, a boldness, and Peter stood up. But this had to be with something. All 11 stood up with him. And he raised his voice. You don't raise your voice unless you are sure. And he raised his voice because he was sure. And he addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Listen carefully to what I say. That, again, is a, another sign of confidence. People, I want you to listen to me. I don't want you to miss this. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. 
And then when he says this, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, he pretty much says, no, they are not drunk. Let's have Bible study. And then I can explain it to you. Because God's word always does explain. The prophet Joel was a minor prophet and hundreds of years prior, he was given these words to say, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Not just a little dab here and there. We are living in the day and age where God is pouring out his Holy Spirit on you and on me. We've got work to do. Time is running out. And who does Joel say that he will pour his spirit on, on all people? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And I want to make sure you know that prophesy is just, well, yes, it's foretelling something that hasn't happened yet. But it's also, it's also making sure that you, that you are confident of your story. I look at I look at the word prophecy and he wants us to prophesy. His Holy Spirit will give us the words and we're confident to tell our story. We're confident to say that the cross worked, that the Holy Spirit is changing our life through through different gifts and through the teachings of his word. The Spirit gives you this confidence and boldness Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I looked it up. I just wanted to make sure that, that the word prophecy, because he's saying, I want all my people to do this. It's a divine, inspired story, or revelation. That's what the definition is. The Spirit will enable us to tell a story that is divine. It's inspired. It's true. And it gives hope. And we know from the book of Revelation that, that we can even talk about future events as proof that as he did when he came the first time, he will accomplish what he promised he will do when he comes the second time. But we've got to tell people that in a, a divine, inspired story from God's word. And we have the Holy Spirit that's being poured out so that, we're, that we, no matter who you are, no matter what your kind of personality, you're enabled to tell this like we said last week, to be his witness, and now we're told to prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. And again, Revelation talks about this. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. I'll tell you, this is quite a Bible study. And Joel has written it hundreds of years before. And Peter is boldly speaking the truth. And it is happening before his very eyes. 
the Holy Spirit came that day with such power. Just exactly what Joel said was going to happen. And then Joel even gives future events. So as you saw it happen now, his promises will come through in the future, just like you've watched them come through today. And then he ends by saying in verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls. What does that mean, call on the name of the Lord? Just say, hello, Lord. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're coming to him in such humbleness. You're calling on his name because you are inadequate. You're a sinner. You need salvation. You need his grace. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. When you call on the name of the Lord, you are coming to him knowing you are inadequate, but he is very adequate. And everyone who does call on the name of the Lord will, will be saved. And then Peter goes on, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs. You believed him because you watched him do miracles and wonders and signs. You, you know that this happened. You watched him do that. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That was a gutsy move, if you ask me. Now, the informer who was telling Luke this made sure that Luke knew that God had this all planned. God always has a plan, and his plan is perfect. But he... he used, he used the Romans and he used the rebellion of the Israelites. It's kind of like, it's kind of like um, the questions when people say, were they created for this purpose? Was Judas created so to betray Christ? Was that, was he created for that? Of course not. He's created in God's image. It was his bad and wrong choices. And God said, you know, I can, I'll, I can use that. And I, that's helped me so much in so many instances. God will never, never, he is not a God of evil. He can't, he will not ever do evil. But when we as humans make our bad choices, so he knew that, he, that Jesus was going to go to the cross. God knew that Jesus was going to go to the cross. That's why Luke writes, man, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. But you, with the help of wicked men, the Romans, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. You know, even though God will use our bad choices, I just love the way he still, and that's what Paul says, and we can know that in all things he works for the good 
And here you say, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. You know, there's, there's always that sign that God loves us. And we don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his mercy. And yet you see it here. Yep, he, the, the honest truth is the Israelites shouted crucify him the week after they shouted Hosanna because they were selfish and they didn't get what they wanted. And, and sometimes the Lord has to do some pretty good shaking up so we get our attention so that he gets our attention, that we, that we wake up. And then he quotes David. And this is what I, I appreciate too, is that when you're under the power of God's spirit, when you're filled with the spirit, he'll help you recall what you've learned just when you need it. Not only did he give Peter the boldness and the confidence to stand up, but he gave him the ability to recall what Joel said hundreds of years before. Isn't that wonderful? We can count on, but the Holy Spirit can't help us recall what we haven't learned. That's why Bible study is so important. And that's why he said to the people, I'm going to, have, well, I'm going to give you a Bible study here. And then the Holy Spirit will help you recall, though that's right. And then he, he, is, he goes to David, because David is the Israelite hero. And he knows that people will listen. And so he quoted David. He said he was able to recall David. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I mean, David was a typical human being just like us, and he made plenty of mistakes. But when he was filled with his God, when his eyes were centered in on God, I will not be shaken. In fact, he said, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will live in hope. That's a great way to live. But what it takes is it's that centering that, that your eyes are fixed on the one who can make your heart glad and your tongue to rejoice and your body will live in hope. Even though you might not be, you're, Live, you might be living in a, well, like we're living in today. When circumstances might be really tough. To know that when we're centered in on our God, when we are committed to our Savior, that our heart is glad and our tongue rejoices and our body will have hope. Even in the middle of it all. Because you will not abandon me to the grave. See, David believed and trusted God's promises. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. See, he was even given that. Did he ever see Jesus? Was he there when Jesus died? No. And that's what Peter's going to say. David died and was buried years and years ago. But he believed what God said, even though he didn't see it, that the Holy One coming from his line would not decay. You have, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. 
Don't you find how scripture always has your answer? Brothers, I, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew. He believed, he trusted that God had promised him an on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Again, he was dead and gone. And it wasn't until hundreds of years later, but he believed it. He believed that his, that his line would continue and that the Savior of the world would come and sit on the throne, the throne of David. Seeing what was had, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact David might have said it hundreds of years ago, but guess what? We all saw it. We saw it with our own eyes. We know it's true. What God says he does. And he's exalted to he's exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So Peter was able to stand up and and not only with boldness, but with clarity. And he remembered, and he quoted. And, and what, did he, what did he make sure that they see Jesus? The story of Jesus. And now the Holy Spirit was going to come and be poured out on all of them because they had to take this story of Jesus, the only redeemer, the only savior, the only forgiver of sins. That story had to be taken out. And the only way that that story could reach the uttermost parts of the earth was through people under the power of God's spirit. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, in other words, David hadn't even gone to heaven yet. And he was saying things like, the Lord said to my Lord. God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Someday we know that all of the enemies will be underneath the feet of Jesus Oh, that's such a good feeling. Therefore, let all Israel. Peter then says, after he quotes David, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. No doubts, no questions. Let all Israel be sure of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Lord is in all, over all, and through all. Christ is the promised one, the Messiah. God has made this Jesus, the one you knew, the one that you crucified. He made him Lord, and he made him the Christ. And when the people heard this, because I think the way, when you're under the power of God's spirit, Peter was all in. 
He didn't spare any words. He, his, his influx were in the right place. He, he said it. He, and he did not hold anything back. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They knew what they had done. I mean, this is, this is the hard part, you know? I think this for all of us. None of us like to be convicted. None of us want to think that we in and of ourselves are nothing. Then we need to go to an old rugged cross for salvation that we can't save ourselves. But the truth is, we can't. And we have to take that walk. And you're convicted when you see yourself. They, they, saw, the, they saw what they did to Jesus. And they said, brothers, what shall we do? How can we make this right? And Peter says, repent. You've got to repent. You've got to be sorry. Don't you remember that was John the Baptist's first words when he started preaching? It was Jesus' first word when he started preaching the story. It is repentance. And be baptized, every one of you. Be covered be covered with Jesus because there's not one inch of you that can do it on its own. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You know, that's what blends us all together. You want to know how to, how to have unity. You want to know how to have all lives matter. You want to know how to come together in equality. It's really such an easy answer. Go to the cross. That's where every one of us needs to come. Everyone, there isn't one soul that doesn't need the cross of Christ. And that's why no matter who you are, in, in social status or cult, culture or color or whatever, every one of us comes together the same way at the cross. That would end it all. And until that day when everybody comes to the cross of Christ, we're not going to solve these problems. To me, that's probably the most important part of this lesson. When Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And when you are willing to do that, you will receive a gift like none other. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. The worst of sinners, your children, your grandchildren. In other words, we don't pass this down just because we're saved. Our children are automatically saved. Our grandchildren are automatically saved. Once we come to the age of accountability, everyone comes individually to the cross. But what he's saying is that I will never stop it. You can count on, even after you're gone, the truth of the gospel and the salvation power of the Holy Spirit will continue. Aren't you glad that as if you have children or grandchildren and maybe you're older and you know that your days are limited or whatever, and 
Aren't you just so reassured when, when Peter stands up and says that this promise of salvation is for, for every generation that comes? This promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call for all. So just in case, just for one little second, you think, well, you know, maybe he won't call me, but he'll call you or vice versa. No, who does God call? He calls everyone. But then we have a responsibility. I always say, Jesus, God the Father did his job. God the Son did his job. God the Holy Spirit is doing his job. But we have a responsibility. And that is to take what they have made it so clear, what his word has made so very clear, what his Holy Spirit has made so very clear. And we've taken this salvation and the gift of his spirit and we've made it our own. But we have to, we have to do it. No one can do it for us. The promise is for you. And the Lord does. It is not his will that any would not receive this. But there's some who just don't think that it's real or that it's necessary or that they're not sufficient enough. They think they are sufficient enough. They don't, they don't fear they think that, that I've got this, I've made it, I've achieved this, or whatever, whatever. Oh. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. You know, sometimes I think I always talk about the cross of Christ and coming and humbling. And I, I know that comes every week. And, you know, I'm not ashamed of that either because everybody has got to come to that realization and I never know who's listening who needs to hear that that is a must and unfortunately I think that there are a lot of unsaved Christians in quotation marks it's because they've heard and but they haven't really done anything about it they haven't taken that humbling walk they haven't seen themselves the way the way Peter's standing up making sure that 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 people hear that they're cut to the heart. That's why it said many other words, many with many other words he warned, he pleaded. And I know I do that. And and sometimes I might act like that I'm just getting a little too overexcited, but I think we're running out of time and and there are too many unsaved Christians out there. It's one thing, it's one thing to go into where people have never heard and to be able to tell them about Jesus for the first time. I think some of the hardest witnessing is right in the church to the so-called Christian people because they really don't understand and that's why not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord's going to enter glory. There's going to be many surprises up there. And I feel my job, even though maybe I don't go to the ends of the earth and go into where people have never heard, the Lord has plunked me right in the middle of the church. And I'm going to plead and I'm going to warn 
Because you see, that's what Peter was doing. He was talking to a lot of religious people that thought they were fine. And he got worked up. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. You're talking about religious people. Religious people were gathered together for this feast of Pentecost. And they heard the Holy Spirit and all of his power work through these apostles, being able to express the truth in their own language. Peter stands up and, and gives a Bible study uses the words of Joel and David. Make sure they know what they did so they could see themselves, how they re had rejected the Messiah. But I think this story is so today. And just think, the Lord can use us and he can, he can use us to get this message out and and the Lord will add to the number. Verse 42, and then they devoted themselves. See, so salvation, you saw salvation in an instant. And you saw 3,000 people, but they just didn't all go to their homes then and say, well, oh, that was fun, or that was great experience. No, now the work begins. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's why I say you've got you've to have your Bibles open. You've got to be in this book. Devote yourself. I looked up that word. Commit. Give your all. They devoted themselves to, I've got to know more, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I know that the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts presented itself in, in, in such, a, you know, visual ways. And we don't have that today as much, but I'd say the biggest visual of the working of the Holy Spirit is when you look in the mirror and you see what he has done in your own life. And that's what he says. That's why he says, I've given you the ability to, to prophesy, to tell the story of the gospel, to tell them that there's a future, that, that Jesus is coming back, and there is going to be a judgment, and that this is true and this is real. All the believers were together and had everything in common. See, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you give, you share. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to one Gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day. That's why I say read that chapter every day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Boy, wouldn't you? This was beautiful. This is what Christians, when they are filled with the Spirit, this is what it looks like to be together and unify your ear in unity. In one accord. You know what? Every day they continued to meet. They broke to 
They had glad and sincere hearts. You know what you didn't hear? Complaining and criticizing and comparing and demanding their own way. Now that only helps when the Holy Spirit is leaked out and self gets in the way. This is what it's supposed to look like. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17, that my people will be unified together. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, go back to Acts 1.8 where Jesus said, you can count on, you, you can know that the Spirit will give you power to do what Acts chapter 2 tells you to do. Acts chapter 2 is not just um, maybe, oh, that sounds so wonderful, but it's not reality, uh, could never happen today. No. Filled with the Spirit, all this can happen among the brothers today, brothers and sisters in Christ. Beautiful picture. Praising God and enjoying the favor because it was all about him and not self. Heavenly Father, this is truly a powerful lesson. Father, it is very clear that you took 12 apostles that you sent out and you sent them first to people that thought they were fine, the religious people, and, and the outpouring of your spirit on that, on that group of nations changed the world. Father, how you will add numbers and then that blossoms out. And Father, may we be a part of that blossoming that out of our life, more people can know. And then they will tell their story. They'll prophesy the truth of your word about the hope that's coming. And that too will bring in more people and more people. Father, this is how you started it in the book of Acts and how you want to continue it yet today through each and every one of us. Same Holy Spirit that was working this powerfully in Peter and in this group of people in Acts 2 is working today if we allow him. Father, we are running out of time. And so let's take to heart. May we be convicted. May we love you so much that, and, and we love people so much that we make sure that they know, that they know about Jesus, the cross, the forgiveness of sins. Father, we praise you because we are nothing without you. But Father, what we have because of you, in Jesus' name, amen.